Hi, and welcome to another episode of LDN, London Digital Nattering. Digital transformation is an all-pervasive term that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For many, it's about apps, the user experience of them, the convenience. But what many forget is that the digital they experience is just the tip of the iceberg. How the interfaces we use connect to other parts of the systems that serve us and the business processes we rely on, well that's where the real magic is. I'm your host Kieran Hanway and today I'm joined on this episode of LDN by Jack Hannison. Jack is the founder and managing director of Adaptivity. Jack and his team specialize in helping organizations unlock value within their businesses by quickly and reliably integrating their processes and technology. As usual, you'll find show notes on our site, www.ldnpodcast.com. You can follow us and say hi on Twitter, at LDN Podcast, and please do subscribe and leave a review wherever you found us. And now, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jack Hannison. Hello, Jack. Hello. Hello. It's really great to have you on the show. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah I've been looking forward to today. Um, so for the benefit of our listeners, other than my intro, t- tell us all about you. Well, okay. So um, so for the last five years, um, I founded and ran a business called Adaptivity. Um, and we're a fast-growing consultancy uh, specialising in all things integration. Um, it's been a brilliant journey, um, full of ups and downs, um, lots of lessons learned and successes achieved. Um, uh, it's been an opportunity to build a great team and um, deploy our vast experience for the benefit of a bunch of different clients, uh, helping them adapt and change to achieve their goals. Um, prior to this, uh, I've had a wide-ranging career um, on a technical track originally, starting as a software engineer, ending up as a CTO. Uh, over time, I've found I'm good at making change happen and focused on delivering projects and programs. Um, I was global head of integration at Vodafone and drove transformation at several other large businesses um, before deciding the best way for me to help organizations adapt was to form a business with that purpose. So that's what I've been doing for the last while um and uh going gray in the process <laughs> <laughs> oh man we're all going gray in lockdown um so that's brilliant so what would you say is the you know the specialism of adaptivity you've taken integration uh you, you, you mentioned that around your vodafone experience and your prior experience what, what is what's the usp for what you guys do so um so integration is basically um connecting computer systems together and you know we would um it can get really technical really complicated and what we do is we keep it simple basically the um i think um often uh like enterprise architects and so forth have got you know strategic roadmaps they want to try and achieve and these these things are really important to guide a business but often integration interfaces then become you know three times the amount of features that they want to that they you know that are necessary for right now so we keep it simple we keep it in business language we understand what an organization is trying to achieve in terms of business goals and so we make sure that we build the right thing at the right time and um that it's effective for 
the change people want to achieve, basically. Excellent. Excellent. Cool. So uh, I'm going to bring my own spin to this conversation, doesn't everyone? So, you know, for me, I'm a I'm more of a f- program delivery guy at the front end. So I'm all about building awesome digital experiences for users. And I've often seen integration as as a kind of a dependency just that's a bit of an irritant like oh, we could move a bit faster if only everything all the apis we needed were available or whatnot um, and that's probably just me being superficial it's not that i don't um, appreciate everything that um that that part of the shop does at all but if we could just sort of unpick that a little bit if i think about digital transformation i think about changing business and user experiences enabled through tech um, how do you see it from with your with your integration lens? Well, um, so IT is a funny old industry, um, <laughs> uh, really, and uh, you know we we all we love a good conceptual bandwagon, uh, mm. and you know to kind of hang the hook of uh, of technology on. Um, I, I don't remember IT ever being analog, um, really. So um, so to say it's digital now is uh, is kind of is it's language, isn't it? Um, but language is important, and it helps people understand things. So yeah, um, I mean, I think um, digital. Um, um, so, yeah, the systems we the systems uh, we use in business have become uh, so pervasive now. Basically, that's that's the kind of key thing that's changed. And you know, it used to be that um, business systems were basically back office tools um, for record keeping or analysis or or for like the last step in a business transaction. Um, you know, they or they were like these massive number crunching uh, uh, systems operated by by men, mostly men in lab coats. Um, and uh, and most business was still done by people face to face, right? And um, so digital transformation for me is really about um, referring to a world where every aspect of what we do is enhanced by the use of sophisticated tools that guide the processes and help us use information to adapt um, in real time. Um, and, and I think a great example is, is booking a holiday. Oh, I, mean, uh, I wish I could. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's not going to happen for a little while, but, you know, that's the well, you know positive uh, signs of this mm. pandemic being over at mm, some point, yeah. but Hey, yeah. let's not count our chickens. But yeah, so the, the booking the holiday, um, um, so you used to go to a travel agent and you would, um, you know, they you get the brochures out and you talk about the destinations and the options and the different hotels available. And you'd have this whole kind of conversation about what you wanted to do. And they might go and look up some flight details in a system and then you'd figure it all out. And then they'd, they'd enter it all into the computer and they'd press the enter key and you'd wait and you'd hold your breath and they'd go, yep, that's all booked. And you go, oh, brilliant. We're going on holiday. And, and that, you know, that's, that was like the record keeping sort of base transaction thing. Now, of course, you know, um, we're guided through it every step of the way. The system helps us with those choices and, you know, and it helps us make the decisions that are best for us, but also profitable for the supplier. Um, it even upsells us the same way an agent would. Yeah. Um, and there's no kind of big kind of like data entry point at the end. And in fact, it's so automated, it doesn't really need the travel agent anymore. Um, and so I think that the difference between then and now, you know, we often think of it as being about user experience. And, and of course, user experience is massively important and none of this digital stuff would happen without it. Um, but I think what's often misunderstood is that behind all these funky front ends, um, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't work if it wasn't for the APIs and the interfaces that underpin the experience. Um, and uh, yeah, and the, the there's... There's a lot of value in 
those uh, interfaces beyond that front end experience. And because essentially what we build here is very reusable. Um, you know, for example, um, something that, that supports one business process, we can reuse that and support another business process. Um, and you can recombine multiple iterations of an application um, using the same uh, backend data interfaces. Um, uh, yeah, so that's where that's where I see digital transformation. I see digital transformation as being about helping organisations unlock the value of their existing systems and to um, connect their systems in ways that they wouldn't have done, been able to, um, in order to adapt to change uh, with with sort of minimal cost. Yeah, right. So there's there's um, yeah, that, that's good. That's a lot of food for thought, really. So um, the, it's all very well having a lovely user experience, um, but if it doesn't actually help any, if no systems actually talk to each other, you, you're pushing a button that's not connected to anything. Exactly. Um, the um, yeah, like so. For example, if you if you want to um, uh, book an engineer's visit, or uh, if you want to. Um, uh, uh, example of something we're working on at the moment um book a service at your home that you might have previously gone to the shop to to do uh the whole scheduling engine that gets that person to the right place at the right time that's actually can be reused in that same business um uh to for example uh, schedule retail staff when we come out of lockdown um in a more intelligent and effective way so they might only be thinking about one use case right now but if we build their the, the, their interfaces correctly they'll get two use cases out of it down the line amazing just reminds me of a weird story that i had years ago uh i was working on a data warehouse program we had a we had the cfo at this um this place i was working um i was i was in his room and i said hey uh his nickname was mad dog i won't i won't i won't actually <laughs> i won't name there's a story that. there <laughs> that's my other dog imitation there's a there is a story there, uh, but his nickname was Mad Dog, and uh, and I was saying to him, "Hey, Bob, uh, for what, you know, that wasn't his name." There's a six million pound hole in the data, yeah. So we're going to load all this stuff into your data warehouse, but your your numbers won't reconcile by six million quid because a bunch of data that we were supposed to load has been lost. It was a data integration project, so there was a there were a couple of servers under people's desks, and those people had left, and those servers were wiped. You know how it was in the old days. Oh, totally. Let's turn it off and see who screams, and then someone screams, and they go, <laughs> "Oh, but we've turned it off." Um. <laughs> exactly, that happened. So he said, "Look, you know, sometimes I walk around the IT department, uh, and and I see some of your developers. They they draw buttons and and on screens and things with OK or." accept or other things like that i said yeah and he said well can't you just draw a button that says reconcile six million pound account <laughs> it's like, only yeah we can but what will it do when you push it <laughs> uh we we never really got an answer to that it was a bit more complex than that but yes needless to say i'm sure you know we didn't have to we didn't have to write that button in the end we had to do something else so well, actually, I'd be interested, like um, where that mm. hole in the numbers came from, because um, that's more than a rounding error, right? I mean, um, somebody and, lost the claims about... database. Exactly, that's what happened to us. Yeah, somebody. Oh lost right, okay, that's a, that's a. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, integration can be. Um, 
you know, when it goes wrong, uh, and often that's the perception of, uh, of the CIO, is that it, this is the thing that only appears on my desk when it's broken. Um, right. And, you know, th- this can, it can be quite vexing. And I think, you know, integration has a bad rap. And, and I think often that's because, you know, um, you have this cool program of work and, you know, the integration test is like the last bit, you know, these guys are going to do these things, these guys are going to do those things, and then we'll pull it all together at the end and make sure it all works properly. Um, and so we building the interfaces, the first time we get our bit properly tested is when everyone else has finished all their testing and we're going to put it all together. And so now our bit's like, okay, we've got some bugs and we're, all the teams are hanging around going, huh, what, what are we going to do while you fix your bugs? And it all gets quite expensive and, um, makes the program a bit late at the end and so that so what we do in adaptivity is we we massively invest in automation technology to make sure that we don't have those kind of um bugs at the end of the program um but uh yeah i think that's often the cio sees it as this big expensive costly thing that goes wrong all the time yeah it's a shame yeah 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 well that's great so what you're doing you know with my pm hat on what you're doing is you're pulling all that risk to the left and you're trying to you're trying to incrementally address any of those integration pain points before some kind of yeah. bang horror show at the end of the project. And without having a button that you can press to test it, you know, like uh, it's easy yeah. to throw testers at a front end. You know, you got your front end's running late. You get you hire another couple of testers and you get them to execute more scenarios and scripts. And but when you're testing, um, you know, a kind of a data lookup and then a filtering and an aggregation and then a, um, you know, an, an injection into another system, you know, we have to build a whole load of test harnesses to do that. And then that's, that's even more effort. So yeah, right. Well, now we're getting into. Um now we're getting into lingo. So let's let's talk a little bit about this lingo. So what are integrations? What are they? What different kinds of them are there? Um, how does it all hang together? You just paint Well, um, I once did a presentation to um, my employer, to the whole assembled IT department at a big corporate. Um, oh. And I was a wee young lad. I was only a few years out of university. Um, and um, I made the mistake of saying that the guys building the ETL scripts were dinosaurs and that us Ooh. guys building uh, the new SOA interfaces were like superheroes or something. Um, <laughs> you know, I thought that was really funny when I was writing the PowerPoint slides, but when I was actually standing up in front of everybody and telling them that, <laughs> that we thought they were dinosaurs, it didn't go down that well. No, I can imagine. Yeah, but but I guess what I'm trying to say there is that, um, you know, ETL, like extract, transform and load, bulk batch interfaces moving lumps of data about from system to system that's where it all began right that's mm. that's an integration um right. you know and if you think about like uh you know big data now and ai and so forth you know we're still moving around big loads of data to that we're going to analyze and figure out what next type scenarios and so on so that's still part of the picture um but um but often what you know the state of the art if you like is you know think of deliveroo so they have basically have built their platform around an event architecture and an event driven engine which is which is an integration engine so you know thing happens someone places an order next thing happens tell the tell the restaurant to go cook it thing happens restaurants cooked it next thing happens go schedule the driver or however the process works and all those things that happen all those events are being moved around inside the integration platform inside the event engine um and sent to the right place at the right time so that's kind of the sort of state of the art um and then in the middle the majority of what 
what we do of what integration is it's often like data lookup basically so um you know we might um want to know customers details and then we might want to update customers address um or we might want to um you know book an engineer's visit um or add a hire car to your holiday or um uh you know so it's not just about data it's also about um hooking bits of process together so and that's the kind of two sides of it basically it's it's data input output and it's chaining together bits of process um uh, that happens, you know, and then, and then it's kind of kicking off those processes away from the UX, away from the app. So, you know, your um, broadband connection goes down, you book an engineer visit, you've pressed the button on the website and it says, yep, that's booked. But actually behind the scenes, there's a whole load of stuff going on now. So what, what's the, what's the competitive, competitive, I don't know why that was hard to say, competitive advantage there. Um, you know, what you're describing, I guess, is, um, is the advantage in having a bespoke, peculiar set of different business processes that link together? Or is the advantage in being able to flexibly change how all those processes hang together as business changes? Oh, that's, that's a good one. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know if this is a leading question. You've been doing your research, but, um, but TIBCO, who were one of the... Um, uh, pioneering software providers of integration software back in the whenever it was 90s I expect probably even earlier they they coined the phrase the, the three second advantage and they spent a lot of um, uh, they, they sold a lot of systems to banks and so forth so because that transactional advantage you get from uh, being quicker than the other guy um, is you know think about algorithmic trading that kind of thing um, is one major advantage and so you know and and if but if you think of it let's say how back in the 90s or 80s actually when tesco kind of beat sainsbury's um uh they did that by availability and sainsbury's were the biggest uk supermarket and then tesco's became the biggest uk supermarket because they could get stock on the shelves more accurately in more supermarkets and they did that because they would um, crunch the data on those overnight batches, um, getting more information from more stores that was more accurate into the centre to crunch it better, and um, and then drive that availability um, faster. Um, but they were still doing that overnight, and so so now you know um, you think of like the latest and greatest retail business processes. Uh, it's very much more. Um, uh, up to the minute, up to the second. And you think about just-in-time manufacturing, um, you know, uh, on the Jaguar Land Rover's um, uh, production line, uh, they have a box of bolts and the, there's a, it sits on top of a set of scales that weighs that box of bolts. And as the box gets to a, to a certain stage, it automatically fires off an event that goes and gets a forklift truck to bring another box of bolts next to the production line. And when that forklift truck has been done five times, it automatically goes and orders another lorry from the from the um, depot nearby and so on and so forth, right? So yeah. that kind of event-driven advantage um, from integration makes your business hum. Um, so that's another one, speed and, and mm. efficacy. Um, and then, yeah, the ability to change. I think that's where we're seeing companies take great advantage now. Um, like, you know, the number of cloud apps has just uh, mushroomed. Um, so you think about... Um, 
what supports a business now compared to the past. You know, it used to be you had your big SAP system or, or you know, Oracle or whatever. And, um, and then you'd have a bunch of kind of satellite systems. Now, each business department has got, you know, five different cloud apps that they use for each thing they do. And so an IT department may have a thousand different cloud apps. They're trying to corral like herd like cats. Um, and being able to plug them in and unplug them is, is a major advantage now. Right. And what, what's the future, do you think, then, for pe- for organisations like SAP? Are they, um, is this sort of big box, uh, that's still how I see SAP, it, but I could be wrong, I could be out of date. Is that, is, if there, is, has their time gone? Well, I think it would be premature to write off any big software vendor. Sure. They're all smart people and they know the changes happening in their markets and they're working hard to adapt. Um uh, but I think that, you know, if we look at where where investments are happening, um, you know, I don't see people rushing to buy stock of SAP, for example. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, the, our industry is one of, of um, uh, upstarts uh, rapidly displacing incumbents um and that happens all the time so i think hats off to sap that they haven't been completely destroyed already really um, so where, yeah. where is the market moving then who are the big who are the who are the upcoming upstarts well i think what i see is um uh is is, is specialization so instead of having the the big monolithic system that does everything it does your warehouse management through to your customer database and everything in between um you know nowadays companies tend to want to have a specialist piece of software and a specialist supplier so you know you might go with um salesforce for your for your customer um uh, database and processes um and you might go with um i don't know shopify for your website or magento or or demandware or whoever um, and yeah, and, and then you just get more and more specialized in within all those different flavors as well. So it used to be that you'd have, um, uh, you know, the, a, a common, like a vendor like Oracle who would provide you with a whole stack of software and, you know, you'd, you'd do a big deal with them to be able to consume as much of their different products as, as you like. But I don't, I think now it's, it's much more the case that you're going to do, uh, and it's so much cheaper, right? You're going to just, mm. just try out somebody some software that's already pre-written on a subscription basis right exactly exactly and um, yeah more flexible more more customizable because the joke about those bigger guys uh like sap was that you know they'll re-architect and re-engineer your business in order to work with sap rather than yeah yeah and you know and i think um if we look where the market's going you know, I think a lot of businesses are starting to get a real headache from the amount of free-for-all going on inside of IT. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's, um, yeah, that can be that can be a problem. But, yeah, I mean, it's we certainly shouldn't be trying to make all businesses work the same way. Otherwise, there'll, there'll be no competition, there'll be no innovation, there'll be no uh, exciting new business uh, capabilities for customers. Fantastic. So... So we've talked a little bit about the kind of problems that uh, that they solve, that your integration work solves. Uh, so where, where does it go wrong? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I think, yeah, complexity is the enemy, basically. Yeah. And um, all, all too often, 
you get you get a big transformation program and let's let's you know let's let's stick with the theme of sap because that's that's the history that we need to learn from and sure. you know so let, let's say you've got a big um big sap implementation and you're putting in a new uh, i don't know warehouse management system or something like that and you you don't you know let's say you've got sap managing your orders and you've got jd edwards doing your warehouse or whatever the situation might be um oftentimes in a project like this you know the this group over here doing the sap piece will be talking to that business unit and they'll be making sure that piece of the system will work for those guys and this group over here will be talking to this other business unit and they'll be making sure it works really well for those guys yeah and um and they'll and everyone will decide let's fix that in the integration layer right so you know and it could be something simple like um you know we've got a different hierarchy structure three levels of location you know major distribution center minor distribution center shop whatever you know versus two layers of hierarchy and everyone might go well that's just data we'll just fix that in the integration layer but it's not data it's it's process right and um and actually that's where that's where things go wrong and that's where your six million quid gets lost right um the because one organization um hasn't understood the impact of their choices on the other organ part of their same organization and um yeah i think so what you know we always say that what we do is we help the people talk to each other so that we can make the systems talk to each other and that, that's often where it goes wrong really it's the silos of it and you know and, and i think about the different programs i've i've worked on um we the integration team are often sitting there in the program board talking to uh the, our, you know our peers who are delivering the parts of this solution and you know we're the often the only ones going hey have you guys even talked to the, you guys right <laughs> you know we're, you, you're both coming to us and, and trying to get us to do something that's conflicting with what see, each of you are doing and see this is proper yeah. conway's law right this is conway's mm. law expressed so so on the face of it you're there to integrate systems but really you're bringing people together <laughs> that's it that's it yeah i'm a i'm a therapist for it departments so. <laughs> yeah yeah isn't that interesting how it, it, even now systems persistently uh replicate the organizations that built them yeah and um but hey that's that's a that's our industry isn't it i mean mm. you know the we could say a computer works the way it does with a cpu and a long-term storage and a short-term storage because that's how the human brain works i mean you know let's get a bit existential here are we as a human species capable of designing it in a different way you know won't it be interesting when we go out into the stars and find out how other um uh, species do this stuff uh, i'm reading too much science fiction obviously wow hey <laughs> well uh like what has this come up in any sci-fi that you've been reading Oh yeah, do you know what? I'm um, I'm reading a crazy book at the moment. Um, uh, it's called. When I say reading, I'm 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 listening to it on audio oh, yeah, cool. because I don't I, I don't read book. anymore. Yeah, uh, it's called A Memory Called Empire. Ooh. Uh, by Arcady Martin, um, and it's absolutely brilliant. It's 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 not aliens and stuff. It's humans, but it's but it's humans out there living in space stations and on planets and stuff and it's the drift between human groups when isolated from each other and how you know language is different and uh, societal norms are different and um but yeah i mean i but but in terms of like um and and you know on that whole vein there's the expanse is fantastic you've got to watch that absolutely um yeah 
Yeah. Uh, oh, cool. Well, we'll put links to those two things, Expanse and uh, A Memory Called Empire, into the show notes on ldnpodcast.com. Uh, well, since since you've just shared one, I'll share one back. Uh, short story. I think it was Asimov. The Nine Billion Names of God. I don't know if you've heard that one. I've not. No, I'm, I'm going to write that one down. I'm always on the lookout for good some, new stuff. Some like American IT engineers, I think it's written in the 60s or something. Some American IT engineers are, are hired by some Tibetan monks uh, to fulfill a prophecy. If you can write down the nine billion different names of God um, using this particular formula, then the ultimate truth will be revealed. So they basically take a computer and a probably a dot matrix printer <laughs> up into the Himalayas and uh, they get to work. Uh, it's a short story. So it's, it's pretty cool. I don't, I won't cool. spoil the ending. Yeah. Cool. I've recently finished um, the Dan Simmons uh, uh, four books around um, uh, Hyperion, um, and then and the the final book there's, there's a whole sort of Tibetan uh, aspect to that, which this mm. reminds me of. Uh, yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's a classic. Um, that was recommended to me by uh, Howard, uh, who will be on a future podcast. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, thinking about meeting aliens, I love the Bobbyverse series with Dennis E. Taylor. They are absolutely brilliant. Um, <laughs> going out and, yeah. Have you, have you read those? Yeah I've, yeah. I've just listened to the last one, Heaven's River. Gosh, yeah, wow. same here. So there's a load, there's a load of stuff uh, there for the show notes for all the inner geeks. Um, <laughs> we've talked a little bit about how it, how it can go wrong. Um, so uh, in terms of getting everybody to, talk to each other, any other sort of elements that people should be watching out for, or, you know, for that matter, should be reaching out and tapping on your shoulder for help with and advice? Um, Yeah, I think so. um, I guess where are we going right now? I mean, like, you know, so I talked, I touched briefly on how we've all got to deal with all these cloud apps, but, you know, I, I, one of the things that we help clients with, and one of the things that I think is really um, a big trend that we've all got to watch out for right now is that the IT department is becoming the integration department, right? So, you know, we you know we don't have data centers in corporate IT anymore. Um, you know, we, we, a data warehouse is really an integration challenge now. It's like we're going to use some cloud services for that. Um, you know, we're going to build some reports, sure, but that's more of a sort of super user business analyst job and so on. And so so really the thing that the IT department's got to be really good at is is integration. Um, and I think, you know, um, microservices are like taking this whole thing even further. And let's just sort of t- kill a buzzword for a minute. Um, you know, because essentially what, what a microservice is doing is it's taking that business process that you know, kick off the the pizza delivery order or, or what have you. Um, and it's breaking that down into like an individual piece of logic. So each uh, step is like its own piece of computing power and own piece of like logic and engine. And then you can scale that up and down as much as you need. So the, the order piece or the shipping piece or the, um, you know, search through your inbox piece, whichever piece of the whole application um, and then that can be recomposed. And when you've done that, then you can start recomposing all of these really fine granular parts of your um, business process. So, you know, this, this is where, this is where we're going as an industry. And so this is why IT departments have got to get, got to get good at, at, at integration. So Jack, when approaching integration, what is it that digital leaders need to consider? Can you just give me say, I don't know, half a dozen things. 
Um, so we touched on complexity being the being the enemy, as it were. Um, yeah, I think keep it simple um, is is a is a kind of real watchword. Uh, you know, it's it's really because of the potential that you can get from really good integration. It's it's too tempting to bake in a whole load of stuff that you don't need right now. And so you know that kind of agile uh, philosophy of minimum viable and iterative uh, incremental gains and kind of um, deploy and test and uh, you know validate before you take the next step and so on. You know these are all these are all good practices generally but they're yeah. particularly useful for integration so that's my kind of keep it simple watchword so that idea work. of that idea of moving or minimizing your dependencies and risks and moving as much as you can to the left exactly and um and this comes from experience at the end of the day i mean it's not um uh it's not something that comes naturally i think because you have the developers at the one end who you know it's very natural for them to write a piece of code get it tested get it working and then um uh and then move on to the next you know feature to add and it's very natural for architects to kind of think big picture blueprints and roadmaps and so on so to get the architect to think more like iteratively it's an experience thing and so you know that's um that a lot of our people have, have have been helping people do that for a while now. So it, it's and I've been trying to find a way to distill this into a, like a training course. But yeah. yeah, it tends to be just having the right people makes the difference on that one. Um, I think the next my next point really is um, you've got to get the CFO on board. Um, this is. Um, in, integration is kind of often forgotten about when you're project budgeting and so you know you'll think about this cool new business thing that we're going to build like the new website or the mm. the new crm system or whatever um and you know the business case will be all um will be signed off by the business users who are going to spend the money on this new system for them um and so then when you say to them hey but if we spend a little bit more money on building the data inputs and outputs then they'll benefit this other business case down the line line you know that, that's where the money just dries up and everyone goes no, no no we're just doing this right now um so you've got you've got to really think strategic you know i'm saying keep it simple but you've got to think strategic and you've got to um you know make sure that there's some funding for the doing this right um and, you know and the cfo you know is your ally actually because you know oftentimes you think about this and you think well the cfo is going to see um you know spend more on something that you don't need to be spending that extra but actually the cfo is the one who's going to be really thinking about long-term return on investment who's going to be thinking about the you know the ability to adapt to change at lower cost and thinking about what's operational and what's capex and we could put a bit more capex here a bit less OPEX there, that kind of thing. Right. So yeah, the CFO is your ally. Um, I think, um, so what I see quite a lot of organizations doing at the moment is trying to use their existing integration tools to work with the cloud systems that they're starting to, uh, you know, have a majority of. Um, and, you know, I, I would caution against that. Um, I mean, I, you know, People say, well, what if, I, if I'm using a cloud integration platform and that's sitting in a data center in, I don't know, Virginia in the States, and I've got my ERP system, it's sitting in a data center in, in Dusseldorf or, or whatever, mm. then, you know, that's not going to make sense. You know, I should use my integration platform sitting in, in the south of England. And, um, and, and I, would say, <laughs> I would say, yeah, but, you know, you're talking 12 millisecond latency to get around the globe right now on a fiber optic line. So, you know, it doesn't really matter where it is. What matters more is that you're using 
capabilities that are pay-as-you-go, that are simple, that are pre-built, um, that have native connectors into the APIs of your other cloud systems. So bottom line, use a cloud integration platform. Um, and what we... Um, what we what we've kind of specialised in actually is helping businesses use public cloud systems like Microsoft uh, Azure or AWS from Amazon to build integration platforms um, using the box of bits that they provide um, and a whole bunch of kind of pre canned automation that we've that we have that um, sets that all up as an integration platform and with doing that we've you know often infrastructure costs are about a third that they would be if you went and used an integration platform a native cloud integration platform. You know, it swings and roundabouts. You spend a bit more on the build. You spend a bit less on the software licenses. It depends on the use case as to what's right, best. Right. But use cloud. I mean, Gartner have been banging on about this for a while now, saying uh, integration platform as a service is the future. And and yeah, I totally agree. Well, why not? Why not leverage what's commodity and and focus on what makes you different? But exactly. Um, so there's there's a huge biz case around that. But I, I, if you don't mind, I want to just ask you a question about something you mentioned earlier, which was about getting the CFO on board. Mm. And uh, and that resonates for me massively. And but I'm coming at it with a product portfolio hat on. And we we tend. Is, do, do you think there might be, or is there a tension? I'm imagining there is. Is there a tension between a a feature slash product view of initiatives? So we want to build Monkey Tennis. I always use Monkey Tennis. We want to build a product called for our users called Monkey Tennis which requires some stuff. Um, but then there's another strand that says, well, if we want strategic long-term uh, benefits realization and be able to accelerate other programs, if you add in a bit of extra cost to monkey tennis, you unlock value elsewhere. With the way that we tend to look at portfolios from, or at least I've seen it done, you look at it from a product angle, from a product line. Uh, does that, is there a tension there between the way that, that product management and strategic sort of like architectural decisions are made? Um, well, simple answer, yes. Um, and, you know, I think like we're not all product businesses and yet we all tend to be using kind of product um, thinking now. Yeah. Um, and, and if we, and, and that's great. That's a big step forwards in the right direction from where IT departments used to operate. Um, but in so doing, I think we've lost a bit of that kind of central infrastructure spend thinking. Um, and, you know, an integration platform is infrastructure, you know, even in a kind of cloud world where infrastructure doesn't exist or it's floating in the air or whatever. Um, it's That's the central, um, uh, central spend piece. Um, yeah, and I think... Um, you know, we're not all Google, right? We're not we're not building Gmail on twenty percent time. Um, so we've got to think ahead, and we've got to make sure we put that money to one side for um, for investment in capability, um, not just in product. Exactly. I guess that's the that's that's why they get paid the big bucks, these CTOs, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think. Um, it's the job of a CTO is pretty hard now, and um, you know, I look at. Um, uh, like leaders that I respect, you know, one of my um, old bosses um, uh, was a chap called Giovanni Chiarelli, and he's now um, the um, CTO and CIO at MTN in South Africa, who's a big telco in South Africa. And um, and so he has a combined role of CTO and CIO. And, you know, I think that's um, increasingly the way that that role should be thought of, right? I mean, you know, it's just like how... 
Um, increasingly, business people are really tech savvy because they've grown up with technology. That's happening more and more and more now. Um, likewise, you know, increasingly, the IT leadership team needs to be more and more tech savvy. And so, so then, what does the actual CTO's job become? You know, it, it is about strategy. It is about um, it's about how to best utilize the technology choices. I think. Absolutely. Okay, so we talked about uh, keeping it simple, leveraging cloud. Uh, getting the CFO on board, automation. Yeah, automation. Is, uh, so yeah, I mentioned how we use a lot of sort of automation scripts and so forth to build up on cloud platforms. But it's a wider point than that. I mean, automation is um, uh, is essential for integration delivery. You know, as I said earlier about testing, and um, you know, we it's really. Um, uh, it's really hard to, to get integration right if you're not doing automated mm -hmm. testing. And so we do automated build, we do automated deployment, we do automated testing, um, automated environment configuration. You know, it, we automate everything because the you get a massive return on investment, essentially. Um, the cost of an integration defect is something like 10 times higher than the cost of any other defect on a big transformation program. Because when you hit the integration defect, you've got to rework that and retest it whilst all the other teams are sitting around burning money. Um, so, so yeah, the, the, we automate every step of the process. Um, uh, and, you know, we've got, we've got, we've got really good at this now in adaptivity to the extent where we're, um, we can essentially press a button and spin up um, with a whole load of automation scripts, kind of the framework of your project. So then, you know, we've got the APIs, we've got the um, uh, the microservices, we've got the Lambda functions and the serverless compute units. So that uh, all kind of created off the off of a config script that we can then just go in and put the business logic into those little containers and, and have you up and running. So um, yeah, I mean that's that's how far we've gone with automation. That's sick. Cool. And and what yeah, would I the, think I think there was about five, right? I think we got five. Right? Yeah, I've got, I've got one more point to put on here, oh, yeah. which um, which is a slight, slightly cheeky, which is um, you know, don't don't let the system vendor do your integration, right? So, ah. um, by which I mean, um, you know, I think from my perspective as a specialist in integration, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of companies get in a bad place and then call us in is because, you know, they were, I don't know, doing a Microsoft Dynamics project and they had uh, the Microsoft Dynamics consultancy do the integration of that into their existing systems. And that's where it all went wrong. And so, you know, I, I think um, it's not right for everybody. You know, there's a uh, an office rental business that um, I know of that that did exactly that, and they they didn't need a specialist integration team to come and do the, that piece. But but then there's a there's a big um, bigger or a small player in the insurance business, but a much bigger business to the office people that um, that we worked with, where that was exactly their problem. They were losing data, and so you know I think um, this is a specialism is integration, and um, sure if it's a if it's if it if really what you need is a nightly extract of new customer details sent to your back office system, then fine, get the, the anybody can build that. But if you want something that is going to be, um, uh, that's going to help your business adapt to change and it's going to um, give you a really good return on investment, um, then get a specialist gang in to do your integration. And you know, just the people. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Kieran. You were looking about <laughs> So on that note, um, how can people find out more about you? 
Um, so uh, yeah, go to adaptivity.uk um, and on all the various social channels as adaptivity HQ, A D A P T I V I T Y. Um, uh, that's, that, that's where you. That was so smooth. <laughs> the first time I ever read out my email address on the phone, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to rehearse this. Uh, yeah, it is. There's quite a lot of vowels in there, uh, A's and I's. Uh, yeah. So, um, and you mentioned a, a former colleague there who's uh, now off with that telco. Are there any other digital leaders you look up to? Yeah. Um, so well, thinking about kind of uh, old bosses, um, yeah, I learned a lot from my boss at Capgemini as well. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate to work for some great, great people. And, um, uh, you know, that's uh, um, something I would say to any sort of young people uh, listening to this is, um, uh, yeah, like um, learn as much as you can from the people you work with. Um, but yeah, I think the way in my industry, somebody that I am really impressed with is uh, Ross Mason, who grew MuleSoft um, to be the, in, the biggest integration software company in the world. And and I think it was one of the biggest ever acquisitions, six and a half billion dollars or something that Salesforce paid for MuleSoft. Um, and, um, you know, and you look back now and you look at how Ross Mason grew that from an open source project, basically. Um, and, you know, you can see he had it worked out. He knew his game plan and he got there in a very short number of years. I mean, that's an impressive feat, um, big time. And, and you know, now he's now he's made a lot of money. He's investing it in, in some good areas too, you know, and getting into the philanthropy business and um, respect to the guy, yeah. Very good, yeah, good. We need more of that. Definitely. Is there a particular trend you think uh, our listeners should be paying attention to? Um, yeah, so um, I think one of the problems, and it maybe it's my generation, I don't know, my 10-year-old daughter doesn't suffer from this, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, there's so much information out there right now. And, you know, like, it, choice is, is vast. And, like, I look on Netflix, I spend longer, you know, scanning through the videos on Netflix than, than I do yeah. watching something, right? Yeah, yeah. I really want someone to curate that for me. So I think curated experiences are... Um, are, are going to make a big comeback. And, um, you know, which is kind of like saying, actually, do you know what? Let's just have, you know, a national broadcaster choose what's on telly. <laughs> you know, I'm quite, let's go back to that. You know, I quite like that. But well, the irony, anyway, the irony um, is, I, I saw an article floating around that, uh, that Netflix is um, going to make scheduled pro- a scheduled programming channel. Uh, you see, they've seen it coming, haven't they? Uh, <laughs> And the and the tweet re- referencing it was something like um, this just in or breaking news: Netflix invents TV. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing new in the world. There's no, nothing new. No. Cynical old man that I am. Um, <laughs> but also, I think physical experiences are going to make a big comeback, right? I mean, post COVID, everyone's going to want to get together and hug each other, right? I mean, and you know, and like retail shopping. Like, I hate online shopping. I mean, I hate shopping anyway. But you know, like if I think of the supermarket shop you know it takes me longer to do it online because in the shop i can walk down the aisle all the fridges and i can go there's 20 different yogurts and that's the one i like but if i do it online i've got to scroll through a page i've got to maybe look at some details instead of go with my kind of gut feel and whatever and so i think i think um you know and we were seeing this before covid like um with online retailers doing kind of experience-led physical experiences physical stores all the pop-up stuff 
Yeah, but I think that's going to be much bigger. So I think, you know, people that are sitting on empty retail units right now are just happily biding their time, knowing full well that the square footage that retailers will want in the future is actually going to be greater than what they have right now. Right, exactly, exactly. Well, I, I've noticed in the in the town that, well, we share, because you're a practical mm. neighbour, uh, there's a place that has a climbing wall, and it was a shop, uh, and it's now a climbing wall inside the shop. And it's very busy, isn't it? And it's heaving, it's packed, yeah. Yeah, that is the future. Cool. Definitely. So so as we wrap, um, would, would you be interested in telling us about um, what, what it is that's most impressed you recently? especially during the lockdown? Um, I, yeah, I think, um, so I've been really impressed with like the human species, if that's not being a bit too grand. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, like, yeah, hum- hum- humanity has adapted, right? Like, um, you know, we've all found different ways to be together, you know, like with different friends, we've had like Zoom, you know, sessions, like dinner parties and that kind of yeah. thing. And, you know, it's been it's been lovely to see how, we've all kind of managed to preserve our humanity. Um, and, you know, the flip side of that is there are some people out there that really need some therapy has <laughs> come to the fore. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a bad time for a lot of people and it's been hard um, for a lot of people too. But yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm generally an optimistic person. And I think that, you know, it's been wonderful to see how we've all coped. Um, yeah. Have you, have you developed any hobbies during lockdown to try and get you through it? Um, I discovered Les Mills On Demand, uh, which oh, yeah. is uh, f- online fitness classes. Um, I used to love going to the gym and doing body attack, um, which, um, yeah, it's like a kind of cardio workout thing. Um, so I do that online now with my Apple TV. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, we've discovered lots of new board games for the family, uh, in particular Ticket to Ride, uh, the Europe edition, obviously, uh, is, <laughs> is a great game. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, in fact, you know, if you are interested in that game, um, you should get the American edition first because the Europe edition adds like a whole extra level of rules on top. Um, okay. So, yeah, we've got we've gotten both. That's a good tip. I had it in my inbox, uh, in my in my wish list. Uh, we went for Catan. Uh, so I have. Oh, five, I don't know that one. I have a five-year-old. Yeah, so I got the kids' version of. Uh, I think in I think it was originally a German board game called The Settlers of Catan. Uh, mm-hmm. And I got the kids' version, which is basically pirates themed and a lot simplified and more gaudy colours. Uh, and my son loves it. So and and he beats me regularly. So that's great too. The the latest one is we've got is Dixit, uh, which my daughter played around her friends. And um, yeah, it's great. It's really it's, it's actually, I really like it actually. It's got all these different pictures on cards, and one person chooses a card and says you know uh, a word a phrase that relates to their card and you have to pick your own card that relates to that word or phrase but it's the it's the graphics it's the pictures that you have on the cards are amazing they're they're really like emotionally deep and and so the the conversations you then have as a family about oh why did you pick that card that that's that's this it's a good thing that yeah great well links to all of that stuff are going to be uh in the notes well, that's been great, Jack. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. We'll share all of the stuff that we've uh, discussed on ldnpodcast.com um, and uh, look forward to catching up with you once lockdown is lifted. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I was joined today by Jack Hannison, founder and MD at Adaptivity 
go check them out at www.adaptivity.uk. Well, that's it for another show. What did you think? Please leave a healthy, robust rating on your podcast app. And why not hammer that subscribe button while you're at it? As usual, you'll find show notes on our site, www.ldnpodcast.com. And come chat with us on Twitter. I'm at Kironi and this show is at LDN Podcast. Catch you next time.